Welcome to Josh's Worst Nightmare Oddcast presented by Denver Horror Collective. I'm your host, author Josh Schlossberg, surveying the dark landscape of biological horror fiction. For this episode, we are succumbing to Patrick C. Harrison III. Patrick C. Harrison III, PC3, if you prefer, is an author of horror, splatterpunk, and all forms of speculative fiction. His full-length works include Grandpappy, A Savage Breed, and Vampire Nuns Behind Bars, among others, and his short stories can be found in numerous anthologies. PC3 is also the splatterpunk award-winning editor with Jared Barbie of And Hell Followed, and the editor of several other highly praised anthologies. Welcome to my nightmare, Patrick. Hey, Josh. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, on Josh's Worst Nightmare, I invite on horror authors to talk about an aspect of biological horror, which I define as living creatures and vital processes relevant to their writing, to their interests, whatever. This episode, we're talking about hospice. Now, before getting into that, I first became aware of you because we were both in an anthology together, which is called, look, remember, Demons, Devils, and Denizens of Hell 2, not one, but two, um, from Hellbound Books back in 2017. That was my actually my third short story publication, and that was, what, your second? Yeah, that was my second. It was actually my first published horror story, my first uh, story to be published was more of just a, a literary short story about a, an old man going fishing. Um, but yeah, my story published in that book, it actually goes back to healthcare and biological um, type horror because it's the name of my story in that book is called Placenta. And it's a uh, a very messed up story about a a woman that gives birth to a dead baby and a live placenta. So it's it is it's pure, a very- pure biological horror. I actually reread it the other night. My neighbors woke me up in the middle of the night and I was having trouble getting back to sleep. I was like, you know, what? I'll, I'll catch up on a little bit of PC3 here. And uh, it didn't help me get back to sleep. I'll tell you that much. Well, but, that's good to know. It's <laughs> it, was, it was beautiful, though, in its grossness. But regardless, so we're talking about hospice. Now, why that topic? Why did you choose that topic to discuss? Um. Well, one of my latest publications is called Grandpappy, um, and it's a novella about an old man with a shady past who is on hospice care, and his son, or his uh, grandson, is staying with him for a couple of weeks while his normal caretakers are on vacation, and things all go awry, but um, hospice care in and of itself is, is just kind of a a horrifying thing for any per- any person in any family that has to go through it. You know, you got the the body breaking down. Um, you have the just the sadness and grief of the end of life experience, and um, it, it's just a really good topic. And I've worked um, in healthcare for over ten years. I was an, a registered nurse, and I, I was never a hospice nurse, but I, I worked in the ER for seven years and I worked in long-term care for a few years. And I, I got to deal with hospice patients at times. And those are just the most sad situations, um, not only because of obviously their life coming to an end, but just what happens to the body um, when it's just ceasing to function. But for whatever reason, the heart is still beating. The mind is still there at times. and 
agonizing through this experience. And it's just, um, it's real life horror without a doubt. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that what I call quote elder horror is not as well trodden as it should be. So I actually wrote my novella Moline, which is basically about people at the end of their life. It's not about hospice, but it's two elderly folks living at home and they have caretakers. One of them, mm -hmm. their physical body is really deteriorating. The mind is totally solid. The other one's having mental issues and, you know, Alzheimer's, but you know, there's also uh, cosmic horror that goes involved, but her body is just fine. So yeah, there is a lot of that. It's, it's, it can be horrible that transition to death the body, as you say, falling apart, you know, even, even the, the brain and all that, but, and, and not to try to over brighten it and stuff like that. I think that there's an element and there's plenty of the dark stuff I do want to talk about, but I just wanted to put up front there that don't you think that some element of the acceptance of it, the kind of like uh, the acceptance of that transition almost in the style of, so like the Tibetan book of the dead. So those folks, they have a book that they literally read to kind of prepare them during their life for that inevitable thing. We're all going to die. Like it's almost the stupidest right. thing to be afraid of. It's like being afraid of the sun rising. It's like, it's going to happen, accept it. So do you think that before we get into the dark stuff, um, do you think that there can be a, a positive, beautiful element of helping usher somebody into that other world? Oh. Without a doubt. And, you know, in the best case scenario, hospice is a beautiful thing, a wonderful thing. Um, I know my grandfather uh, went through it, uh, I guess it's been about five or six years ago now. And he was on hospice for maybe a week or two. And it was a fine experience. You know, obviously, it's very sad. And you hate to see your loved ones in that situation. But there's medications that help through the pain. Um, there's medications that help through any depression and stuff like that. And um, if they're not in too much pain and agony and the family can sit there and hold their hand and, you know, help usher them into whatever's in the great beyond, then yeah, it's a, it's a lovely thing. And, um, but at the same time, there's, it's just, uh, you know, it looks like such an agonizing experience. And for a lot of people it is. And I think a lot of times if, if, um, you know, you get that to that point where, you know, death is coming, but you don't know how far off it is. Right. And I think a lot of times when um, they're at that stage and it just stretches on and on that it gets worse and worse. And um, you just, man, it's, it's a terrifying thing to watch. Yeah, I, absolutely. And different cultures do have different approaches to death. And I'm not an anthropologist or anything like that, but it seems like, you know, Mexican Day of the Dead stuff. That's like a, a healthier, I think, versus like, ooh, it's, I don't, you know, like that's most of the rest of the world, the Christian world. I mean, I come from a Jewish background, not religiously so, but like they're very uptight around that shit. Yeah. And, you know, it's, especially in the Christian world, you'd think it should be looked forward to because, you know, you're expected to go to heaven if you've been a good, a good person of faith and that such thing. But there's still, it, there's this fear about it. And yeah, I think it's, yeah, that's interesting. The Mexican day of the dead, I guess there is a lot of celebration of that kind in, in different cultures, but yeah, for whatever reason, the American culture, um, death and the uh, thought of oncoming death or something that are feared and kind of shoved away. Right. You know, when it, yeah, I think um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, uh, the United States has more 
people in long-term care than anywhere else in the world. And I think that's sort of an odd thing that in our culture, when people near the later stages in life, we kind of put them away and don't want to have to deal with it because is it because we don't have time or because it's something that we fear, you know, seeing later on in our own life. Yeah. And then there's also gross stuff involved with it, which we should talk Mm. about in a second, but first, yeah, I think you make a good point. It's like, okay, well, Christianity, you believe in, in heaven, like this would be pretty sweet. And I used to go to a lot of old cemeteries when I used to live back in Vermont, some of the most beautiful old cemeteries in the, in the world out here in Colorado, we have kind of, you know, like the, 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 uh, like old West cemeteries, they're, they're fine. They're kind of cool, but they're not as cool as the back East growing kind of grassy around it and kind of just left to its own purposes. But a lot of those old stones do say things like, you know, we've left this veil of tears, right? So it's like you have gone to a better place. But the thing is, I mean, hospice is scary if you're going to go to hell, right? That's probably, you're going to want to hang on to every last yeah, second. Without question, I guess for Christianity, that's what last rites are for. So right as you're about to go, the priest can swoop in and hopefully save your ass. To fix it all. That That's definitely convenient. Um, yeah, so there are places. So where whereabouts do you live? Are you allowed to reveal your location? Uh, yeah, I'm in Wolf City, Texas, which is a town of about 1,500 people in North Texas. Okay, Texas, cool. Well, so I used to live in Oregon, and Oregon is has kind of like the right to death laws there. They're kind of the most prominent folk. They did have that Jack Kevorkian guy who, right? I've I've heard some stories about him that he, in his personal life he was a bit of a a weirdo. But that being said, the idea of bringing people who are of you know, of compass meant compost mentis, whatever, having your brain working where you know how to make your own decision. Um, that I think is a pot, in my opinion, I think being able to choose that is a positive thing. There's a lot of people who kind of get railroad into it, who don't know any yeah. better, but I personally believe, and I don't know what your thoughts are is, you know, without getting into a, a political discussion about the, um, the law there, just I think there are things worse than death and that is a suffering and, you know, complete loss of dignity. What do you think about all that? Yeah, I think, I think there could be a place for that. It becomes sketchy though, because if it's not somebody with say a chronic disease, which is going to kill them, I'm, at what point do you draw the line? Cause mm-hmm. look, somebody has diabetes. Well, diabetes is a chronic disease and will probably eventually kill them that doesn't mean you should get assisted suicide at 40 years old, you know, cause you have diabetes. Um, so I, I definitely think there's, and look it for people on hospice, a lot of times they do die from medication because they're in pain and they're getting morphine drops or Ativan drops or both under their tongue. And at some point your respirations decline and you die a lot of the times because of the medication, but it's not considered assisted suicide in that situation just because you're getting that medication for the pain. You're already on that path to death. So when you talk about assisted suicide, it's, yeah, a line would have to be drawn somewhere. You you can't, in my opinion, just have people, oh, well, you know, I'm going to die at some point. I want to go ahead and get it over with and on my terms or something like that. But yeah, it's a tricky thing. Yeah, no. And that, and that's really fair. Scandinavia is, increasingly lax i believe canada and stuff like that and yeah it is i think everyone agrees there's a line the question is where is that line all i know is if it was super easy 
I mean, I've had hangovers where I probably would have like pushed the death button if I had the option. So yeah, you want Same. it to be, <laughs> you want it to be a more, a little more difficult. I actually wrote a story I'm trying to sell it right now called the suicide button. And it's, it's, mm. it's basically a world in which um, for whatever reason, everyone is, has to wear a button around their neck, kind of like those life alert thing, except when you push it, it kills you. And you just, and it's like a way of dealing with population and other things like that is like, they want people to die. It's, it's fucked up. It's not, it's obviously dystopian. That's, but, that's a great idea actually. So, but I mean, the problem is like, yeah, you have enough, you stub your toe. You're like, ah, fuck this. You know, it's, you don't want to make it too easy for people to do that. Mm. Yeah. I recently saw a movie. The name of it escapes me. It had Robert Redford in it. Um, fairly new movie. But he is a scientist who had discovered through some machine he built that when somebody dies, it their soul or whatever does go to an afterlife. And because of his discovery, there's this massive uptick in suicides all of a sudden. It's, it was a really neat concept. That is. That's really fascinating. Yeah, because, <clears throat> I mean, life is to a certain degree biological horror. And then if the idea is if there is an afterlife, that's when... We don't have to deal with that shit literally. So let, yeah. let's talk a little bit about the gross things of hospice, right? This is a biological mm -hmm. horror podcast here. So I think you made a really good point. It's like people, they warehouse the elderly, like, all right, stick them over here. My grandparents were lucky enough. So both of them passed away over the last few years within about a year of each other. They were lucky enough to be able to live still at home. And they mm -hmm. had some caretakers, you know, luckily they, they were in a financial situation where they could do that. So that was a wonderful thing. Most people don't have that option. So you put them somewhere, obviously, you know, professional care is a wonderful thing. These places are not all like uh, American horror story asylums or anything like that, <laughs> Right. but they're not super ideal all the time necessarily. I, I mean, I've thought of them like they're like college dorms where they have better drugs than yeah. college. <laughs> Right. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, like I said, I worked in long-term care for a few years, and I'm trying to think how many. I think I had upwards of 50 to 60 patients at a time just for me. Hmm. Um, now, it's not like at a hospital where they're all in need of urgent care, but right. a lot of the times, um, specific ones do need a lot of attention, and um, not that other ones get neglected, but you don't get to see them as much, and then you know, say you have somebody on hospice or just unable to move in bed or something like that. And, you know, they, look, incontinence is a very common thing. They shit themselves. They piss themselves. Um, maybe they have catheters in. Maybe they have colostomy bags. So they're laying there with in their own filth a lot of times. And it's not found until the nurse's aid or, you know, or a family member goes in there and notices or something like that. And, and I mean, just think about that. You're, you know, maybe you're completely cognizant you know exactly what's going on but you can't move you can't function properly and you feel yourself shit the bed in the runniest worst you know spout of diarrhea you've ever had and you're just laying there hoping somebody finds you and then the humiliation of it that somebody has to turn you and roll you clean you up and it, you know the horrors just compound um but yeah that's i mean that's something you see daily when you work in a facility like that it happens to everybody in there pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely could see that being humiliating, but in some ways 
I mean, I'd kind of like somebody to wipe my ass for me, you know, <laughs> like, good, take care of this for me. Like, good. I, I live my life. I contribute to society. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's a noble profession to be taking care Absolutely. of people at that Absolutely. end of life situation. And, and it's really important because yeah, back in the day, family situation, I mean, I guess that's ideal, but that's, it is probably harder to wipe your aging parents' ass than yeah. that of a stranger, right? There's I something mean, that's yeah. everybody crazy. wants to remember their parent as that strong person in their life, the people that led them down the road to success, or you know, they played catch with in the backyard, went fishing with that sort of thing. They don't want the lasting memory of their parent to be, you know, he shit the bed, I'm wiping his ass. Um, but then you look at it the other way, and it's like you need you want to give back to that parent for all the things they did for you also so it's you know there's different ways to look at it for sure yeah yeah it's 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 a really important topic especially as population is aging right all the boomers are now uh i mean that's a real profession that's that's a good business because they're they're super old and people live forever yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah but the quality of life aspect and i mean i'd like to think that, you know, in, back in the old stories, it's like, it's always like a pleasant thing. And, you know, I like to think of myself as some crotchety old man. I'm already halfway there, you know, um, <laughs> in just my personality, but like on a porch, rocking chair, I've got mm. some whiskey, I've got an old dog and I've got a shotgun. Like, yeah. oh, like um, what was that movie with uh, Robert Duvall where they're sitting there with their shotgun on the table? <laughs> Secondhand lions. Yeah. And the salesman's the salesman would come pulling up and he'd get his shotgun out and fired into the sky. See, that sounds that's like the good part of being elderly. Because if you do that when you're 23, like they put you in prison, nobody likes you. But when you're like 86, they're like, oh, leave him alone, you know? Yeah, exactly. So that's that's cool. But that's the thing. I mean, like, I'm not afraid of being dead. Like, that's frankly the silliest thing to be afraid of. But the dying process. But we yeah. have amazing we have amazing drugs, and at the same time, it's like as your mind sort of went, there is acceptance, you know, like there there is acceptance. So like when we're healthy and younger, we're like, oh, how horrific! I'm not saying it's mm. great, but I think it, you know, I don't think they're sitting there in constant abject terror. Hopefully, right? Right. Yeah, I know. With whenever my grandfather went through it, he had accepted it, and okay. you could see he was content with it. And um, I remember the last time I saw him sitting next to his bed and he is talking about um, all the work he did, you know, in his life and how he's proud of it. You know, he was a mechanic and he worked real hard and he talked about that for a little while and, you know, kind of tears coming to his eyes because he was proud of himself for having been such a hard worker. So there's definitely that acceptance and, um, you know, looking back on your life with pride, but not everybody has that. Some people look back on their life with regret. And like in my story, uh, grandpappy, the uh, grandfather is very much a bad person and did a lot of bad things. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people that are like that. That's true. But, so, so it's almost like less the, the physical infirmities, although those suck, obviously. But hmm. if you've done bad deeds, you're going to be stewing there in your yeah. hospital bed. Yeah, that's a, that's a sure. good reason to try to be not a piece of shit yeah for sure you don't want to be laying on your deathbed with regrets um but you know the the horror is just 
when I talked about the earlier about the body breaking down, that's mm. a, a big part of the book is um, grandpappy has a bed sore on his bottom. That's just getting deeper and, you know, more absurdly deep and um, your body can't fix itself anymore at that age. You're losing muscle mass. You're taking in almost no nutrients. Maybe you have a feeding tube. Maybe you're getting spoonfuls of, you know, mush. It's enough to maybe uh, not have hunger pains, but it's not enough to fix anything in your body. And that was one of the things we dealt with in the nursing home is if an elderly person who's not taking in enough nutrition starts to get a bed sore, it's a problem. Ah. Because it's not going to fix itself. You got to roll them, you know, one side every couple of hours, roll them to the other side in the next couple of hours. Because if they get any pressure on that little spot, you know, where the skin is just barely broken, you know, for us, if we got a little break in our skin, it'd be fixed in a couple of days. For an elderly person in the later stages of life when their body can't do anything about it, that, uh, that tissue just keeps falling apart and breaking down and getting worse and worse. And, you know, it's almost impossible if they're not taking, uh, taking in the nutrients they should, it's almost impossible for that to heal. Yeah. Well, that kind of makes me want to get assisted suicide right now, actually. (laughs) So on a more positive topic that still ties into that, a bed store, that's, that's central to this. But um, I heard that there are a lot of sexually transmitted infections in old age homes. Now, obviously not hospices, right? They're not getting boners, but like, but old age. I, homes. I hope not. But have you heard of that? Have you heard that lots of people are getting like, like STDs uh, in old age homes? I've heard that a lot. I did not experience that in the one that I worked in. Okay. Uh, but I could definitely see, I mean, there's some uh, old folks in the, in the uh, nursing homes that are horny. <laughs> it still happens both women and men. Cause we would have, I remember we had this um, one elderly lady that would go up and down the hallways in her wheelchair at all times of the night. I worked nights hmm. and she would come up to the nursing station and she was um, for whatever reason, smitten with me <laughs> and she would make, she would make lewd comments and um, invites back to her room. <laughs> and such. So, wow. Like how, lo- like how lewd. Like yeah. what, what are we talking about here? Um, she would ask to um, see what I'm, I'm packing. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's pretty and, upfront. Um, she, she would say that I couldn't handle her and stuff like that. <laughs> and I don't know how serious she is being or just joking right. around. Um, there's right. definitely still old people that have those uh, tendencies. In some ways, that's awesome. In other ways, I'm like, man, I thought by then I could just like purge my brain of all the poison, you know, but apparently not. So I'll still be. Oh, let me tell you, the the men are even worse when they get a good looking nurse coming into their room or good looking nurse's aide. Boy, at that age, they know they're not going to get in trouble. So they're, (laughs) they're talking all kinds of shit. That is that. Yeah, I wonder how. Uh, obviously, I don't want to get too far into that topic, but I wonder how the Me Too movement has affected old dying men from making uh, lewd comments. I wonder. Yeah, that's a good question. I think once you're in the nursing home, uh, you just kind of have to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, as long as they're not touching anybody, right? They're not being too handy. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, a yeah. comment that's uh, 
Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm not gonna, it's funny. Well, I'll, t- I'll talk about all those other topics and I'm like, that's the one that makes me nervous to talk about, but, uh, <laughs> but, but anyway, yeah. So, but I, I have heard that because obviously they're not using protection because they're not impregnating anybody that, you know, there'd right. be a lot of gonorrhea and stuff like that going around. Um, you know, maybe that's more like retirement communities versus the really, yeah, old I age can totally ones. see that, especially if like this, their spouse has passed away and they're like, okay, you know, where's, where's the uh, other single ladies out there? <laughs> and I, I mean, I'm sure if you go to Pornhub, there probably are some videos of that. Oh, um, it's probably there. Probably so. Yeah. Do, let's do a quick Google search. Yeah, probably not though. Or I'll definitely do it on the one where my uh, search history does not show up on my own computer. <laughs> but here's the question I got to, so we got a few more minutes, but um, the cat's on the faces of people who are about to die. Have you heard that whole concept before? Yeah. Um, like in Dr. Sleep, you mean where the yeah. cat, I have heard that. And we had a cat for a short time at the nursing home I was at, but I've seen that before. I think they did a, uh, episode of unsolved mysteries, you know, back in the eighties or nineties where they talked about something like that, where, uh, that might've been a dog in that case, but hmm. I'll say this. I had an experience that makes me believe somewhat in that sort of thing. Um, and this is in regarding a dog. Whenever I worked in the ner- or in the uh, emergency room, we had an old gentleman come in. I, I say old. He might have been mid-50s, early 60s maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but he came in CPR in progress. And <clears throat> he had lived alone with his dog, which was a golden retriever, if I remember right. And um, I guess somebody had been there to check in on him or something, and he was unconscious on the floor. And so they had called the ambulance. <clears throat> and it was a CPR in progress when he came in. Well, he ended up dying. Hmm. Well, the, the person that had called it in came, brought the dog with him to the emergency room because they didn't want to leave the dog there or for whatever reason. They brought the dog with him to the hospital. The moment that man died back in the emergency room, that dog started howling in the emergency room waiting room. It's Mm. not like the dog was in the same room. He was down the hall, around the corner, out in the waiting room. That dog started howling the moment that man died. Wow. That was bizarre. So is there some sort of connection spiritually between a a dog and its owner? I don't know, but that is a hell of a coincidence. It's, I've heard the tale a lot, right? Um, Maybe 99% of the time that's, there's not something to it, but even if it's 1% of the time, then that's something to pay attention to. Yeah. yeah. It was definitely bizarre. It gave me chills. I remember that. That's really fascinating. Well, on that note, so glad to have you on the podcast. Before you go, say a little bit about what you're working on and where folks can find your work. Uh, yeah. Right now I'm working on a novel called the Snake Creek Inquisition. It's kind of a, mashup of maybe like a children of the corn with the girl next door by Jack Ketchum kind of that kind of story, I guess, kind of genre <clears throat> about 40,000 words into it. It's probably going to be well over a hundred. I imagine. Um, you can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram. I do not have a Twitter at the moment. I uh, don't plan to get one. I have a Substack, pc 3 horesubstackcom where I review movies stuff like that um, and update people on my fiction 
And I'm also an editor. So any writers out there that uh, want a good editor to work with, reach out to me. PC3 at PC3Horror.com. I'd be happy to talk to, talk to you and see what you got. Cool. And we'll link to your Substack there in the uh, description. So thanks again. It was really great to have you on. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. It's been a good talk. Thanks for taking a trip with me through Josh's Worst Nightmare, where I, Josh Schlossberg, survey the dark landscape of biological horror fiction presented by Denver Horror Collective. If you don't want to miss any of the great, and sometimes disturbing, weekly episodes I've got planned for you, be sure to subscribe to Josh's Worst Nightmare on a variety of podcast platforms. You can also sign up for Josh's Worst Nightmare e-newsletter at joshsworstnightmare.com, where I share a whole squirming mess of bio-horror, including my infamous haiku horror reviews and my latest dark scribblings. Speaking of which, if you haven't already picked up a copy of my cosmic biological folk horror novella, Moline, from D&T Publishing, you can find a copy of the paperback hardcover, or ebook at Amazon, Godless.com, or joshesworstnightmare.com. Yours darkly, Josh Schlossberg.